Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz drummer Donald Edwards. He grew up in Louisiana and studied music at Southern University in Baton Rouge, where he met and was highly swayed by renowned teacher Alvin Batiste. These days, he is promoting his 2016 CD, Prelude to Real Life, and has spent years learning and gigging with the likes of Freddie Hubbard, Tom Harrell, Carmen Lundy, Branford Marsalis, Oren Evans, Joey Calderazzo, and so many others. He's in New York these days and continues to give his time to help young musicians learn percussion in schools, along with recording and performing. So get to know him and dig this interview, my friends. Thank you for taking a little time out for me today. I appreciate it. No problem. Glad to do it. So I'm going to go ahead and start off here. Give me kind of an overview of what's been going on with you lately, just kind of a snapshot. I've been working on my own projects. Uh, I've been playing with a group called Opus 5. Um, I've been playing with uh, the Joey Calderazzo Trio. I've been playing with the Mingus groups. I've been playing with, uh, who else, Alex Sipiagan Quartet, um, the Henry Butler group. I've been pretty busy. Well, and a part of that mix, too, is your 2016 album, Prelude to Real Life, which is a great album. And oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. You bet. And I want to know, take me into the studio a little bit and how you feel about the afterglow of this album being out. Totally um, happy with it. Um, I think with this album, opposed to uh, the previous album, uh, it was more about um, family and you know, the new experiences that come with that and growth and, uh, you know, part tribute to my wife, part tribute to my daughter, experiencing something new. That's basically what what the record was about. And um, But aside from that, the, the music and the musicians, uh, that was normal, um, a normal experience. I feel really at home with these guys. For this record, I took some, a couple of older things and... Um, did a couple of collaborations, not really collaborations, but, you know, just had some people, a few guests, friends here and there, sit in on the record. And uh, I went back and took a couple of arrangements that I did back when I was in college and tweaked them a little bit and threw them in there. And uh, so, you know, I was pretty happy with how it came out. Talk to me about your childhood. Born and bred in Louisiana, how did you get into music and more specifically jazz? Wow, that's a good one. Well, uh, my mother and father uh, both come from a music background. Um, they were both in the choir when they met. Uh, my father was uh, he was uh, a pianist and still plays piano for a couple of churches. My mother, uh, she's, she was a vocalist, and she still does that today. With you know, She still stays active with you know, different choral groups or whatnot. But, you know, I heard a lot of music coming up in my childhood. Um, I was born in Monroe, Louisiana. Uh, I think my father and mother moved to Opelousas, Louisiana, because that's where the work was at the time. And, uh, you know, I grew up there a little bit. I spent a lot of time in New Orleans at my grandmother's. So I got to uh, experience a lot of different types of music and uh, different, you know, I had a lot of different musical experiences. Um, I grew up playing in the church a lot. Uh, I was playing a lot of funk music. Um, I met this guy from the Marines who really um, got my technique and everything together, and he, you know, he taught me a lot about martial arts and art, and you know, just being a technician on the drums. So when I went to college, 
you know, I kind of had that background. I got into the marching band thing. And then one day, now all of this is while, um, you know, while playing, I'm hearing all this other stuff in the back of my head. And I'm walking through the music building one day at uh, Southern University in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And I see Alvin Baptiste, a great clarinetist and educator. I see him rehearsing his band. And the drums are set up against the door where nobody can go in. You can only look in and see what's going on. And what I saw when I looked in kind of changed my life. I saw this guy, you know, he was playing and um, playing the drums, but in a way that really accommodated the music, but also was uh, really free as far as, you know, one expressing oneself. And that's what I was, that's why I chose jazz as, you know, the music I love to play, because for me it's... uh, it kind of represents freedom of expression. Perfect. What, what were some of those jazz albums growing up that you listened to that were pretty big on your uh, on your mind and that really kind of formed who you are? That's uh, that's a hard one because um, as far as my writing, it, it doesn't really come from jazz albums. <laughs> it's, uh, it, you know, if you take you know the melodies off, sometimes it can be a pop tune. If you really yeah. listen to the chord changes, and uh, what I've always felt, you know, I'm not a purist, so I come from a, a you know, few backgrounds where uh, I just like to incorporate a lot of different stuff, but not in a way where it's so obvious. I just wanted to uh, influence me, inspire me, but I don't want to walk away saying, "Okay, I'm going to do that." I just kind of let uh, you know nature take over. And but as far as some of the records, I mean, I listened to a lot of the jazz records that everybody was told to listen to when they, you know, kind of blue and you know all those records. But um, as far as I can tell you, what musicians resonated with me uh, first was Art Blakey. I just liked. I found that in his playing, I had everything that I needed, pretty much to to do some gigs, you know. Like, if I just checked out his record, I, I, you know, I had everything I needed to do some gigs. And I was like, you know, he had a great groove. Um, His music was danceable. Um, Great tension and release, dynamics, very explosive, but at the same time, gentle. You know, he could could be all those things. Um, But I I really like the way he treated the music. And, and really made it come alive. But, you know, I feel like if you take him out of those, out of that, all those records, and put another drummer, it's probably going to be good, but it's not. It's just going to be something totally different. And uh, so he was the first guy that resonated with me. And uh, until everybody starts saying, "Oh man, you sound like Blake," you sound like Blake, blah blah blah. And <laughs> so I was like, okay, let me go in another direction because Blake was still living at the time. Yeah. And yeah. I saw him live. I got to see him live, and I remember thinking, "I'm never going to do that." <laughs> you know, so I said, "Okay, let me go in a different direction." I got all the devices I need from him, and you know, with you know, without actually trying to be him. And then, you know, I started checking out a lot of Elvin and Tony. You know, a lot of the same drummers that you know all the guys check out, and you know, go back to Papa Joe Jones and and people like that. Um, so, you know, I, I went back and also, you know, New Orleans drummers that people don't even know about, James Black. Um, he was pretty much responsible for me to really, for me being, um, not being able to write, but for wanting to write music. Uh, 
Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I just took a lot, you know, Smokey Johnson, who people probably will never hear about, you know, people like that. Uh, James Black, James Black, um, who's the other one? Um, it's, it's so many guys I could name. It's just, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, I just used the, um, the guys where I lived as inspiration before I actually right branched on. out. Speaking of branching out, after Southern University, where did you go? How did your career begin on the stage and really start taking off? Um, I would say, um, you, you know, I was, I was still living in Baton Rouge, and, and I started playing with, uh, doing some gigs around town with Russell Anderson, who was uh, in the Wynton Marcellus Septet at the time. So through him, uh, well, he asked me to do his first record. And uh, that was pretty much my first major recording. I mean, as a sideman, our, our period. I mean, I recorded on Alvin Batista's record before that, but it, I was playing percussion. I was just glad to be on the record at that point. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, so, and I would say uh, when I started playing with Russell Anderson and then Mark Whitfield came along and, you know, I started doing a lot of stuff with Mark Whitfield. And before I even moved to New York, I played in all the major clubs in New York. And, you know, we were doing a lot of touring, and uh, that's when it kind of took off. But all the while, I was um, writing a lot of music that I hadn't recorded. I did a lot of demos and stuff like that, which Nicholas Payton played on, you know, for nothing. You know, he was just, well, he was a good friend. And, you know, a lot of my friends did that for me until I actually re recorded my first record in, uh, in New Orleans. And I had people like Peter Martin, Mark Woodfield, Nicholas Payton, Roland Garen, a lot of a lot of really good Russell Anderson, Bryce Winston, a lot of good musicians on that record who just uh did me a favor. <laughs> you know. A lot of people heard that record and uh, I started getting a little buzz uh for composing. And I think shortly thereafter, um I did a um composition for the Arts Council. It was an Arts Council competition. They um awarded me the Arts Ambassador Arts Ambassadors Award. Uh, the Arts Council for Baton Rouge, Louisiana. They they, um, they gave me that award for composition, for composing. And, you know, so I started getting a little buzz for, you know, being able to write and stuff like that. And uh, So, you know, it just kind of took off from there. Well, and everything's worked out. You've been all over the globe. You've played with Freddie Hubbard, Tom Harrell, Carmen Lundy. I mean, the list goes on and on. What have you learned in your journey with a lot of these veterans and these stars in the jazz world, what do you get from them, either by osmosis or just directly from them that has helped you grow, not only as a musician, but as a human? In most cases, uh, professionalism. In other cases, being able to um, adjust and become, uh, not I don't want to say become what they want, but try to accommodate them while at the same time being myself. Because... Um, I do a lot of different kinds of projects, and uh, but for the the people who mostly call me, you know, want a little of this, they want a little of that, and I just play, you know, just having a chance to play with all these different kinds of musicians has helped me out a lot with that. And um, but you know, I just learned, you know, mostly professionalism and you know how to carry yourself and stage presence and. Uh, just to be more musical. You know, it depends on who I'm playing with. I play with a lot of different people. 
but um you know the professionalism thing is the main thing uh just rising to the occasion and trying to do uh everybody's performance effectively well speaking of all the different genres that you've been involved with like you mentioned you know you're in jazz you got marching band hip hop pop r&b funk gospel how do all these play into your musical id and who you are as a music organism i mean i like to keep it organic um I, I don't like to you know i'm i'm very aware of that that's the case but i don't like to sit down and think about oh you know i want to do this record where i can incorporate all this stuff sometimes i'm not trying to incorporate all that stuff i'm just uh like really um trying to um just be who i am in the music and you know write what i hear and not really be uh, swayed or um influenced by you know stuff that's out there that you know i might be trying to follow you know because i hear a lot of good stuff out there and i'm like well I like that, but do I, you know, is that me? And uh, I just try to keep it organic and uh, try to find a medium between uh, what I like and what the listener can deal with. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I also, you know, I'm, you know, I like to consider myself an artist, but, you know, some artists uh, wrote for what was going on in the day. Some artists wrote for what was going on in their life. Um, and then you have other musicians uh, that just conform to what's already out there. And by the time they put out what they think is out there, you know, music has moved on. <laughs> so, yeah. my, you know, my take my take on it is that uh, just, you know, be yourself and try to be as honest as you can possibly be through your music. You know, let your influences come out and keep developing that side of it. Yeah, you know, I, I went through a long period where I didn't even know what my sound was for a long time or who, you know, even on the drums or compositionally speaking. So, um, you know, but I, over the years I've learned to kind of step outside myself and say, okay, you know, I like this, I like that. You know, how can I uh, figure out a way to really uh, do the kind of kinds of things that I like, but at the same time make it palatable for the listener? Some artists don't care what the listener thinks. I'm one of those artists who do. I think, you know, both feed one another. Well, another component of who you are is you're an educator, too. Um, you've taught music education at the University of New Orleans. Mm -hmm. In New York, you've taught. Talk to me about how this also feeds into who you are. What's your approach with students, and what do you want them to get from you? Well, you know, I can talk a little bit about, um, especially my private students. It's funny that we're talking about this now because I just came back from um, a university where it's a, a small music program, but it's called uh, an experimental music program. And uh, but back to my students, as far as, like, uh, I would say teaching drummers, uh, one thing, you know, I know a lot of teachers, uh, or a lot of students, as soon as they play, you can tell who they studied with or who, you know, what their, what, who their teachers were or something like that. But I try to take a different approach, and this, it was how I was taught. Uh, and that's why I really, I firmly believe in being, you know, trying to be yourself and find yourself as, as soon as possible. Um, you know, I teach my students to um, pay attention to, you know, what they have to say and, and pay attention to their mistakes. Sometimes I might hear a student and, you know, I hear right away that this student has something totally different. You know, I'm not going to change that. I'm going to work around that. 
if I see anything that might hinder the student in his, in his, his or her development, then I'll step in and say, okay, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to fix this. But while at the same time, you know, making the student aware that, hey, you know, you have this thing too and you need to develop it because I haven't heard this before. It seems like something new. It seems like your own thing. But maybe, you know, pay attention to that. Don't, you know, don't abandon it just because, you know, somebody told you to check out this record and check out that record and this is how you're supposed to play and things like that. I think, you know, this uh, music and the musicians involved in it is, you know, it's a very personable thing. You know, it's, uh, this is a music where you can actually have a personality opposed to, uh, classical music. And I'm not saying you can't have it in classical music, but just having a personality in this music kind of lends itself more to, uh, jazz than any, any other thing. But, you know, I, I put a lot of focus on that. And, uh, that's one of the things I've learned over the years. That's what I try to, um, convey to students and uh, because it was it was taught to me hey pay attention to your mistakes a mistake is not always a mistake you know sometimes it's what you you're really hearing and you know things like that so but you know a lot of times i learn things in the lesson too and uh i don't go out and listen to music as much as i used to because i was daughter now and everything but um my window to what's happening sometimes is through my younger musicians my students and uh you know we have a lot of conversations about music and what's going on and uh i pick their brain and they pick mine and you know we just talk like musicians sometimes and um you know i just try to give them the best musical advice that i can right on you know you had mentioned art blakey and some pretty big names that influenced you in the world of jazz and, and i'm going to ask you this if you could go into a time machine and witness Anybody that you haven't seen in the world of jazz, who would you want to see? Where would you go? I'd probably go to the 60s, Miles, late 60s quartet, you know, to be honest. Or probably yeah. uh, around the same time, John Coltrane. So let me ask One you this. of those two groups. Perfect, yeah, that would be some good stuff. Let me ask yeah. you this. It's a, it's a generic question, but why do you love jazz? Uh, it allows me, for the drum set, it allows me freedom of expression. If I'm playing funk music or, let's say, uh, gospel music, like in the church, you can't, um, you can't just go off and, and, and I don't want to use the term go off, but you can't like really stray away from what's going on and say, oh man, I'm, you know, what about this? You know, or I'm hearing this behind that or, you know, let's go here. You can't, you know, you can't do that. Everybody in church will be looking at you like, hey man, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, you can't. Art music, you know, it's just like they just they just want the one, the pocket to stay there. And the hip hop music, same thing. Uh, most music is like that. We can, you know, I don't want to say jazz, but I'll say improvisational music. You know, you have uh, you can know the rules, and you know, because you know the rules, you can break the rules a little bit. And uh, you know, based on what you do, it could impact the whole band or it could impact the music and make the music shift and go in a totally different direction. It's kind of like having a conversation. Somebody jumps in jumps in and says something profound and everybody else is now talking about what this guy is talking about, you know. So it's it's kinda of like that. It allows me freedom of expression. Let me ask, let me ask you this. Of all the people that you played for, all of the albums that you've been on and put out and all the fans that have come back to you to say something about it. What's one of the nicest things that a fan has ever said to you about your music? Wow, that's a good one. But I think I have something. Well, one 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 person told me um, 
that they could hear all the backgrounds in my music. They uh, read my bio and then they picked up my CD. Actually, the, the last one, Prelude to Real Life, and they could see all they could hear all the backgrounds in my music without it being that. And that's you know that was the ultimate compliment. They said it was you know different, and, but still like a, um, a kid who didn't know jazz could digest it. I'm like that's that's what I want. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What's what's next for you? We talk. Let's say we talk in ten years. My first question is, what's going on? What do you What are you looking forward to happening in your career as it goes on? Doing more teaching, therefore doing more learning, because that's how I learn too. You know, before it was a different way, but because of the time factor, um, you know, I look forward to teaching a lot of young drummers and learning a lot also, and, uh, and learning how to teach better or a new breed of people who are coming up. Uh, the plan thing, you know, it's uh, it's always going to be there, you know, unless I lose a limb or something, you know, whatever. But, yeah. um, you know, I think uh, I look forward to kind of feeding the community in a way where it's, uh, it continues. These people have been saying, you know, jazz is dead for years. I've been hearing that for 20 years. You know, um, I was part of the breed where you know, academia was just starting to come into the music, and it was less of a uh, coming up through the ranks kind of thing, and more of a um, an academic thing. You know, you have, you know, you started to have more programs and stuff like that. So um, the way people get into this music now is totally different than before. Um, nobody's coming up through the ranks with the, you know an older, more experienced person, you know, uh, co-signing you and saying, "Hey, this is the guy." Won't you let him sit in? You know, I like him. You'll like him too. Next thing you know, this guy is going up in the ranks. Everybody's close. It's not quite like that no more. Um, it's more, you know, people are graduating and thinking that they can go and, you know, have a career. <laughs> it's not always the case. You know, everybody that graduates with a degree in uh, performance or whatever, you know, Jazz music education doesn't mean they can go out and play. And I've been to a lot of uh, programs where, you know, the instructor's not exactly telling the truth. And it's because that instructor comes from a situation. He was born of that, you know, breed where it's just everybody's coming up through the school. And he hasn't really ever done any road work. I mean, which is okay, but... If you haven't done anything, you should find somebody who's done something and, you know, so you could teach the real thing. And, you know, it's, I'm, I'm finding a a slight little battle between the performers and the teachers where it's, um, you know, who the, the big question mark is who's right. <laughs> and, you know, what is this uh, academic situation producing? Well, you know, I'm just trying to see uh, the the music scene in any way I can because, you know, one one good um, proof for me is that a long time ago, you know, I, I did this clinic. This might have been 15, 20 years ago. Taught this guy. Uh, he was at a clinic and uh, he left, you know, really inspired. Ten years later, that guy hired for me, me for his record. Right. So it's, you know, so it's... Uh, that kind of thing that I'm looking for. Not necessarily to feed myself. I mean, yeah, it's great if I can benefit, but just to 
feed the community. If the music is still around, then, you know, there are always going to be musicians to play it that are still around. Right on. Or vice versa. Well, let me ask you this. My final question to you is this. Everyone has a version of who you are, your family, your friends, colleagues, but who do you think you are? <laughs> well, you're, you're asking some good ones. It's almost like, who do you think you are? Where do you get off? You know? Yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> no, but I mean, uh, no, I get you. Um, family guy, you know, musician, uh, composer. I would like to say artist, but you know, just a regular good guy. And I'm not, I'm not trying to change the world, but I'm trying to make it dent. That's a great way to wrap everything up. Hey, thank you for taking some time out. I like that answer. It's, uh, the the brevity sometimes is is the, is the real mustard there. So thanks for opening yeah. up. Thanks for the music. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thanks for your interest and and, uh, giving me the opportunity to do this interview. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in New York, Louisiana, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Donald for his music and his time. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store or visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for all things Neon Jazz, you can visit the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.